This week, we reset ourselves after watching Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat. And along the way, we ask, is there a villain Tom Cruise can't defeat? Why is the army insistent on advertising their battle plans? And does Brendan Gleeson actually know what movie he's in? Maybe not, but this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another thrilling, time-looping, action-packed edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, the Colonel, Chris Rupp. Ooh. And I am joined by my co-host, the Lieutenant Colonel, Sean Michael Culp. All right. Yeah! We're going army ranks today, folks, as we are diving into Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat, or whatever title you want to go on based on what home media or movie poster you're looking at. Yeah, I in my library, I thought, what? There's They don't have this movie? Because I was going off of Edge of Tomorrow, and then finally, oh yeah, Live, Die, Repeat. Copies. Endless yeah. copies. So let's provide a quick synopsis of the film before we dive into it. So when Army PR officer Bill Cage, very action movie name, is stripped of his rank and sent to the front lines on the eve of humanity's largest invasion, he encounters an alien who can manipulate time. And after Cage acquires this ability, he finds himself literally reliving the day and the battle itself, and he must team up with a war hero and a suit up with a pair of exosuits in order to save the world. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt fighting aliens. Yeah. What could go wrong? Ah! Nothing. Not a whole lot, actually. <laughs> that sounds like the perfect duo to take on the world. Because it's a Tom Cruise movie, everything goes right. Oh, well, it has to. Uh, and you know what? Emily Blunt, too. After yeah. seeing her in Looper, I was like, you know, I don't know why I haven't seen any of your films before. No, she's great, she's in, great. This, in the in a movie that's... Uh, Led by director Doug Lyman, who directed He's the, the man. directed the first Born film, The Born Identity, one of the you one of my favorites. Yeah, also directed uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. So Ooh. Doug Lyman's good with these male female action yeah. movie team ups. He, and I guess he, Cruz likes him because they did American Made. Mm-hmm. And what else? Have you ever seen Swingers? John Favreau. Yeah, before John Favreau got a bit too full of himself. Yeah, yeah, that was his first claim to fame. And then the horrible Jumper with uh, <laughs> Hayden Christensen. Well, actually, I like Jumper. Well, I don't know, 10 years ago I liked it. I haven't <laughs> seen it since. Well, I but also the man. saw too. It was written by uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah. Jez Butterworth and John Henry Butterworth. Um, they are not the heirs of the Butterworth <laughs> syrup fortune. No, but McQuarrie, he's got uh, some ties with Cruise. I don't know if you knew that, but he's yeah. done the last two Impossibles. He did The Mummy, which was pretty bad. I think he wrote that. I don't think he directed that. No, he's writing all these movies that I'm saying. And also, Christopher McQuarrie is the son of Ralph McQuarrie, who wrote a bunch of concept art for the original Star Wars film. Oh, jeez, that's dope. So Christopher McQuarrie, part of uh, Hollywood royalty there. <laughs> right. It's like the sons of basketball stars that just keep staying in the league. And the Butterworth uh, brothers are, uh, I think one of them drew, uh, wrote on a James Bond film within the last couple of years, and they are currently yeah. working on the upcoming film uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, Rocka. Which I am excited to see. What is that about? I have no... Is that... Oh, Ford versus Ferrari, so I'm guessing it's how those giants came to be with the low It's about cars. how they were facing off in uh, Le Mans... Uh, 
legendary race and how Ford wanted to defeat Ferrari. Oh. But we're getting a bit too far off the science cool. fiction path here. Well, just some uh, food for thought for the homies out there. So as we mentioned, the film is starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. And along with those two, we have uh, the great, the legendary, Mr. Bill Paxton. Oh, rest in peace, man. Yes. Yeah, we've got another Bill Pax movie. Yeah, our previous one was Apollo 13, but uh, Cl- yeah, uh, Mr. Paxton will come up in future episodes. We are sure of that. Oh, he's great in the sci-fi drama. And who else? The Brendan legend. Gleeson, who uh, there isn't a supporting role that Brendan Gleeson hasn't turned down. Yeah, as we recently saw, we're like, wait, he's in a lot of films. Yeah, uh, also a couple of Game of Thrones alumni with uh, Noah Taylor, who uh, plays Dr. Carter in the film. I knew that you knew these yeah, no uh, names. <laughs> yeah, he plays a, a traitorous member of the Night's Watch who tries to kill Jon Snow. Oh. And then Tony Way, who stars the, the fat guy Kimmel, he's a disgraced knight who uh, is also... Surprise, surprise, he's killed in the show. <laughs> Just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I have to say the um, the supporting cast seems more like caricatures of the characters mm-hmm. they're supposed to be playing rather than actual memorable pieces of the film. Yeah, they just seem like cannon fodder to me, to be honest. Like, oh, here's the jolly one. Here's the quiet one. Here's the diverse one. You well, know? I think that's an important concept of any war film is you have yeah. to have the characters who are going to die. Yeah. That's even the great ones. There's always people who are designed to die. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's true. true. It's like Vin Diesel and Private Ryan. That was his old job. And, you know, they established that this film wasn't going to be like that. Mm -hmm. It was more so about Cruz and uh, Emily Blunt's character. Yeah. um, Did you also... I don't know if you noticed this, but Brad Pitt at one point was attached to star yeah. in Tom Cruise's role. I saw that. So I wonder he how different this movie might have been with Brad Pitt. I know. Um, I don't know. Maybe less running montages. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Although with that exosuit, I mean, I don't know if he's right. like if he's running, running. Oh uh, well, is he running, running? I don't know. Well, they need. I, I saw the post-production scenes or the uh, background. And they were attached to cables that kind of slid. Yeah, so, so it's not really running. It's more just like more like a fast-paced Baywatch running. But they still had to train because I know Blunt talked about her like basically having to get swollen in the gym because these suits were 80 to 130 pounds. But the cables, what the director said was it was more so just to take the weight off their shoulders. Yeah. But they actually, I guess, were suspended like while in the off-season. Yeah. Like, you know, while they're waiting to shoot more. Yeah. Hanging. So, I mean, that's pretty dope. Yeah, they trained intensely for this leading up to the the, um, the actual filming. Um, yeah. I was also surprised to learn that this was originally based off a Japanese light novel that was published yeah, in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was originally titled All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Sakurazaka. Well, that's a very straightforward title. Yeah. All You Need Is Kill, baby. If you get divorced... Don't read that novel. No, so that might set you down on a uh, on a bad path. Oh God, uh, that's pretty cool. Did you read it? Did you look anything? I did up not. On no, me either. Well, I also saw that uh, most of the screenplay was discarded six months before filming actually started. There were a ton of people who had their hand in writing it. I know it had like three writers. Yeah, Simon Kinberg was at one point attached to write it. Uh, Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman who. Uh, wrote on the Star Trek reboot series. So a lot of guys had their hands on it before uh, McQuarrie and the Butterworth brothers came along. The Butterworth. 
There's something just so that's, pleasing wow. about saying Butterworth Brothers. It's just every time. Now I'm just going to think of that. You're Thank just you. going to think of like the syrup fortune, yeah. which, the, which they are not heirs to. <laughs> They're just like sitting in a pool of syrup with the script. Mm. Bring me waffles. <laughs> Eating waffles while writing. What should we talk about today, Jerry? We have only pancakes, sir. <laughs> I said waffles. <laughs> Uh, thank you for that. So the script was actually not finished until principal photography started, mm-hmm. which- uh, It's ballsy. Yeah, that's kind of scary going into a major production and your script's not finished. Right? Especially with a $170 million budget. No yeah. big deal. $178 million. That's nuts. That's insane. That's that like is. Marvel movie budget. But you know, hey, they trusted them and it worked, but it's got to be nuts for the director. Probably even the actors, too, because your scene's not ready. They're just like, all right, here you go. <laughs> well, I think that definitely we see that more towards the end of the film. Like, yeah. Oh, crap, we got to finish this movie. We can't keep having him die. Yeah, it's got to lead somewhere. I do want to ask that. Let's start off by asking this. How many times do you think Bill Cage died? Oh, see, I was trying to think because he got so good at memorizing like for the dip ducking and dodge portion on the map that's how i viewed it <laughs> with dodgeball i'm like this guy had to have died thousands thousands of times had to at least because even when they got to the general portion and uh blunt's like he's not gonna give us the papers or whatever or the uh, equipment and he's like no no we die this way this way and then he finally got it. he's like i've never gotten this far i don't know what to do now yeah. and then just ends with her shooting him in the head yeah yeah, he just he he had to have died. Like, come on, the training montages of those robots flying. That's got to be at least would... like a hundred, like at least no, not even a hundred, five hundred times yeah. he's there. How many times would you die for that? I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> my question was: Do you, do you think he felt the pain when he died? He had to have, because like it, there would be moments where he would get shot. He'd put his hands up in front of his face, and he'd wake up in the same position. So I feel like he did. Yeah, he had to have felt the pain of dying because those ooh, those mimics were uh those were brutal yeah getting squashed stabbed decapitated i mean there's just there's so many like not even he wasn't even killed by the mimics some of the time I mean, he yeah. was run over by cars or he was crushed yeah. I, I feel like most of the most of the times ended with emily blunt just shooting him in the head yeah that was the majority of those scenes because he'd break his back or his arm or his foot Actually, I, I can only feel my lips. And then, boom! <laughs> yeah, that, you know, seeing Cruz do that type of, it was almost comedic in a sense. So seeing him in this role, to me, was kind of, it was nice. It was it was invigorating. Yeah. I, I, it was something totally different. Because you, you've seen the Mission Impossible, right? Well, yeah. And he's kind of just one tone. His face barely moves the entire film. Action man star. Whereas this, he actually, like, emotes. Yeah, Tom Cruise doesn't nice. do any actual acting in any Mission Impossible no. film until the most recent one, and that's the best one. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've talked about it before on the show. I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout is incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's nuts. Great movie. I'd recommend that. That would be my non-sci-fi movie. Well, we've wreck. already included it in a previous you one. You know what? So. <laughs> Fine. Watch it, you jerks, if you haven't seen it. But this, uh, with him in this film, it was nice to see Cruz um, be the underdog. For yeah. once, because he's pretty much bailing out on the army. Well, he's the underdog for a little bit. Yes. Well, yeah. well good. I would say mm-hmm. the first quarter, third of the film, he sucks at his job. Well, definitely leading 
in that first act where he goes into battle for the first time. It was funny. Yeah, those uh, those special effects in there, woo, yeah. really conveyed the sense of a massive invasion, sort yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Because I looked up some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and turns out they were filming it on a big beach set, but they were surrounded by green screens. Yes. So it's just like, I guess it's kind of cheating. It was, because they wanted to initially film it on the beach, but instead they decided it would be cheaper to do it in the studio. So they just made their own beach. The studio was just like, we can't have this be too much like Saving Private Ryan now. Right, because that's what they were going for. And then actually in the studio, it got so muddy that they digitally CGI'd the sand in a lot of portions too, because it was just so destroyed from the actor's overuse, which is kind of- That's insane. That what? not CGI sand. That was so cool to me. Because it looks real. Like, but it's the little things you don't really notice in the films, right? Well, I think most of the CGI shots went to the mimics, the aliens. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The the tentacles. Yeah. Which is, is still, like, the design of them, like, didn't quite make sense to me. Like, it, it almost looked like they were made out of Legos. Yeah. They kind of reminded me for a second, like, Attack the Block. You know, those little monster guys, how they're so quick and you can't really see what they are for a while. It was kind of like that with the mimics. When I'm watching, I'm like, do they know what they got here? Is it, or is it just the CGI blob? And then once they slowed down, you could see the details, but they were weird. Yeah, what was their end game in this movie? I don't know. They didn't specifically say maybe world domination. Maybe they wanted to harvest the core. I, I don't know. Dr. Carter had a theory that they were trying to colonize ahead of a larger force, but I don't get it because every other movie we've seen involving aliens they have some type of objective like even et et wants to get back home yeah (laughs) the basic maybe this is see maybe the mimics we see are just the battle mimics and the actual mimics are on the mothership and they're like drinking cocktails what mothership they came down in an asteroid (laughs) that's true well maybe the bigger asteroid you know this asteroid chipped off and they're just like riding home you know they just want to do the big one. I just I don't get it because again, every alien has some type of endgame. Like um, yeah. Predator wants to rip people's spines out through their backs. Aliens from Ridley Scott's. I mean, they want to just propagate and yeah. kidnap humans and make tiny little chest bursters. Right. I mean, really, it's a love story if you think about it. Never thought of it that yeah. way. Yeah. But in War you. of the Worlds, they want to harvest humans and you know spray their blood all over the place. Make make mystifiers with blood. Yeah, this it wasn't very clear cut, um, and I don't know if he did that on purpose or if maybe they had extended footage where they cut it out, or maybe they're setting it up for the sequel. They didn't really say. Did it bother you a lot, uh, like not really knowing, or how did that work for you just, as a viewer? For me, I I want my villain, the people who are not supposed to like in the movie, or creatures for that matter that we're not supposed to like, mm-hmm. they have to have some type of motivation. It has to be well established. Yeah. Okay. Thanos has an established motivation. Mm-hmm. It seems like these aliens are just coming here to kill everything and just take over stuff, which that plan never works out. Right. Unless it's like even maybe an accident. But you'd think, right, maybe it would be then a, a piece on humans. You know, maybe we're the destructive ones, kind of like with Westworld. But no, not, no. <laughs> not with this. No. Not with this. I'm just putting my, you know, the eggs in the basket to hope they flesh it out in the second one. I do think that those exosuits were pretty cool, though. They were, as we discussed. I mean, they were heavy. The actors had to train for it. Um, They basically 
when they weren't acting, you could see, I don't know if you saw the behind the scenes footage, but all the time you'd see the actors like crouched on a knee or literally hanging almost in rafters with chains because 80 to 130 pounds. It's a lot. That's a lot, dude. Well, I like the practical side of them because they actually seem like something we could get on the battlefield in the future. Yeah. Although I do question the choice of putting SMGs on one arm, (laughs) grenade launchers on the other, and yet you give the cooler, more effective models to your heroes. Right. Like, you give the bigger model to the fat guy who can barely move in them who has to be in it (laughs) naked for whatever reason he was naked in that oh yeah, yeah that's right all he that's was right. was wearing the jock that's right because when they made the comment about like his balls being out or whatever i gotta be free man yeah yeah even bill paxton get the rocket launchers and that's bill pax man yeah give it to bill paxton so he can actually use those rocket launchers for good use yeah they there was i like the dropout scene though with those you know like how they're suspended in the airplanes and thoo, popping down well Cruz cool. only gets that the cool model once at the end not not at the end it's when they're they're in the trailer in the, yeah, they're hauling the trailer and, he and, and he's shooting around and he gets the cool model once and then and then never again yeah i don't know or it, he gets it a couple of times because i think probably midway through all his dying he realizes oh you have to equip this bad boy yeah i need it because he has the scene where he says i want extra grenade strap this on strap this on and the guy looks at him like oh crap because the running gag throughout the film is uh, at the beginning was he was so incompetent, he's going to die, which I didn't really enjoy that, how they treated him, despite him being a, a deserter, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he was falsified as a deserter, which that seems really hard to do in just under a day. But like, what? A, yeah, right, in a day. And he was knocked out for a long while, it seemed like. Right? <laughs> Possible concussion, no big deal. Like, how strong was that taser? <laughs> Never comment, just throw him in a suit before. And then everyone's like, you're going to die. They didn't even tell him how to take the safety off. Even I tell people how to take Seems like that's pretty important to tell people because you're giving giving somebody a walking death machine that you wear around you. Right. I mean, it's pretty important to tell them, hey, here's the button that you don't want to flip so you don't kill everybody. Right. And you're going to the battle that's pretty much the most important battle of the entire war. No big deal. Oh, and by the way, let's advertise this big, important battle on every single news interview and news channel across the globe. Dude, the game plan was just confuzzling. Maybe because they thought the aliens didn't speak English, so they're like, all right, they won't know. They don't watch the news. They don't watch the news at all. They won't know. (laughs) They won't know about Operation Downfall. But they obviously learn from their tactics with their resetting abilities. You know, I actually did find that Operation Downfall was... A historical plan at one point. Okay. It was the planned invasion of the Japanese island in World War II, Ooh. but eventually it was scrapped after the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but I, <laughs> if you don't- Just throw bodies at which the Which I feel <laughs> like in this movie, there's certainly an easier plan than devoting literally all the troops you have- to attack yeah because if this plan fails you have n- nothing no, no one's defending anything because at the beginning it showed the map kind of it was the green whatever was the good people and then like the red like red and black was the aliens and so the way they portrayed it i'm like is the majority of the world taken over already or are they surrounded where's the other forces is this it is this the only like armed forces that are left they're going to attack, and why? 
Yeah, and Brendan Gleeson in, is so insistent that this is the only plan and that this plan will work. He has utmost confidence. He's like, the only general in that room. All the other generals Everyone are else is just out. like, no, you cannot be in this room with me. <laughs> I am the one who has the utmost authority. I'm the benevolent dictator here. Out of the room. He's not even a five-star general, and they have the five-star general in World War II for special times. Where was the Navy in this? I don't know. I think... I think they were all just consolidated into that one force. Yeah. And it was weird. The United The United World. Defense Force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The UDF. The UDF, baby. <laughs> just there to kick some alien ass. Uh, but he was he was a pretty lousy general, I would say. But yeah, I also got the sense that Brendan Gleason didn't quite know what movie he was in. No. It was definitely a case of you've got five days to film, show up, here you go. Oh, the script? Oh, I just got it. Oh, whatever. Let's hurry up. I have another supporting role to do across the country. Yeah, right? Because he just, yeah, it was, it just seemed a little off-putting. And then at the beginning, the scene just wouldn't end. See, it I felt got, too long. I got the feeling that if Cage just went along with those orders, like, things might have been okay. He would have been fine. And also, I question to the decision to put him among the first wave because that's not something you want to do. Especially with somebody who is, well, he was a major in the movie, right? Yeah, it was befuddling. You don't put a major in with the first wave because they're for sure going to die. Well, yeah, number one. And number two, you don't put a guy that isn't trained in combat arms in the first wave the day before you attack. It yeah. Just, it doesn't, so the logistics of it kind of took me out and because like cage was a was he was just like um no like i'm I'm gonna make people not like you if this goes bad it was so mind like if it goes bad you're probably gonna be dead dude and he's not gonna care yeah (laughs) how did that was just so mind-blowing seeing cruz being a wuss i'm like what you you're never a wuss it was kind of like i don't know if the uh director did it on purpose i think it was because there's also that scene later in the movie once he's in the loop mm-hmm. where um he just decides to abandon the inv- invasion yeah. steal a motorcycle and just goes and gets drunk yeah he just gets wasted which was really cool i you know it he did a kick butt job on this film cruz did he really humanized the character i liked it <laughs> well, i thought emily blunt was in a lot of ways, better than Cruz in this movie. You think Emily Blunt was better? Yes. See, I disagree. She wasn't fleshed out enough for me. But tell me your opinion. I want to hear it. I want to hear For most of the film, I mean, she is Cruz's superior on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Like, she's had this ability before. I mean, the angel of Verdun, as they call her. So she's, she's a war hero already. So she goes into this movie with a lot of... Um, like the big time status to her. Mm-hmm. Like she knows how to fight. She's very capable. And the movie isn't, she's not as like a means to an end for Cruz's character. No. But she's very much more like, no, you're going to help me mm-hmm. do this. Like this isn't for you. This is for me. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, like the roles are kind of switched. He does become a good fighter. Mm-hmm. But I. I don't know. It ends weird in the in the basement of the Louvre. See, that's exactly where my uh, opinion of her character changed because she was great at the beginning when he, she was kind of training him up. The motivation of getting to the end is a means to the end. But once he passed her, then her character almost fell to the wayside. And they tried to shoehorn in the love story elements. And to me, that just, 
don't know, it kind of fell flat. It wasn't really a love story. I think it Cage. It was weird. I think Cage <laughs> genu- genuinely cared about her. He did. And he has that line, like, no matter what I do, like, you die. Yeah. So, and, and then that next scene, he just abandons her and goes off on his own. Mm-hmm. And spares her, I guess, but the day still resets because he dies, because mm-hmm. the, the alphas tricked him and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. It, it was, I felt he was superior as the actor in this, the character, character wise. Well, they couldn't just toss in a love story. I mean, yeah, they do no. share that kiss in the basement, but it was more just like, like, hey, we're going to die probably. So, <laughs> what? Is that what you're going to do at the end of the world? Just find the nearest broad and be like, or, or man, and be like, <laughs> here you go. Mwah, <laughs> baby. <laughs> if you knew you were going to die, what? I mean, probably. No. What? What? I mean, they do it in Game of Thrones, so. Because that's a perfect basis for reality and what my decision should be. Well, most of my decisions are based off the morality of that show, so. (laughs) It all makes sense now. All of it. (laughs) What, kiss? I didn't like the kiss. I rolled my eyes. But that's okay that you liked it. Because I'm just like, whatever, man. Well, they didn't want to make the film too much like Groundhog Day. Well, that's, see, I felt like that was where the moment, sometimes the second half felt like it was Groundhog Day. Now I did watch Groundhog Day prior to seeing this because I don't know why. I just saw it on Netflix and was like, yeah, Bill Murray, time, repeating loops. And for some of the sequences, like when he starts killing himself, getting killed, I was like, kind of like Bill Murray. Yeah, that the Groundhog Day yeah. gets pretty dark. Yeah, it does. Although I do love the scene when he hugs Ned Ryerson. It's just like, I've missed you so much. <laughs> I love that scene. That film is just vintage Murray. That, that, you know what? That could be my uh, sci- non-sci-fi movie recommendation of the week. I'll co-sign that. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Good Bill Murray, Harold Ramis. Directed that. Yes. And he's a doctor. Andy it. McDowell's in it. Yeah. Um, Groundhog Day ends with Bill Murray and Andy McDowell walking off the, the lovely street in that small town and just, yeah. they're going to have a great day. Mm-hmm. It's the start of a new relationship. And if they had done that with Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat, mm-hmm. it would have felt exactly the same as Groundhog Day and it would have just ruined the entire film. I know. And they tried something different and I think it was executed somewhat efficiently we don't really know what's going to happen it set it up for a part two but i liked it yeah i like the ending yeah she spared the pain of dying and he can now like maybe start a you know an actual smooching relationship with her (laughs) not not the end of the world kiss no okay this is this is actual it's actual love. Uh, yeah, baby. Maybe. I mean, the aliens aren't there anymore, so who knows if they could actually- The could... reason for love is no longer- I mean, that was my question with it. I'm like, because he's walking into the room and he just smiles, which I guess was a last second. That that was just an offshoot. They just saw Cruz laughing when he talked to the director, and then he's like, yeah, that's how we're going to end it. I'm just going to smile and laugh. I'm gonna smile do, and laugh. I'm going to do what I do because I'm Tom Cruise, so I'm going to smile and laugh at the camera. Smile and laugh. But, you know, what would his motivation be? Or what would her motivation be for screwing with him, you know? Because their whole link was he had the repeat. I guess he could go up to her and be like, hey. He has that awkward just question while she's training him about, like, like, have you tried other ways of trans- oh, transmitting yeah. it? Like sex. through sex? Yeah. 
And she's just like, oh, come on. Like, really? You're going to ask me that right now? I know. Have Which, you done what, it a couple times? <laughs> like, that was the perfect reaction from her. It was just like, okay, knock it off. Right? It's like, you're being a dude. Stop it. And see, those are the moments in this film where Cruz says those lines, and I go, wait, what? You're an actor, man? Like You, you can emote? What? You haven't done this in so long. This is crazy. What's this dialogue coming from? Usually you say five words and- Make no facial expression. This is the most emotion you've shown since Born on the Fourth of July. What's right. going on? Hey, no. Last time you did this was Tropic Thunder. What gives, man? But uh, you like the ending? How'd you feel? I don't know. I um feel like the ending was a bit rushed. Rushed. Okay. And which which part? The killing of the aliens, or like him just landing in the helicopter? How how do I think, you feel? I think both because <laughs> the ending. I mean. A, I find it highly unlikely that he's able to kill two alphas since they occur in like one in every six million. What luck. And he accidentally, I would say he accidentally kills the first one. Yeah. And kills himself in the process, which is the worst. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, he kills it after its blood is mingled with his mm-hmm. and the Omega's already dead, so it resets. So no matter what happens now, the Omega's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, he could reset it a hundred times and the Omega and all the other aliens are still dead. Yeah, just reset to that day. Yeah. We actually, and there's like a gruesome death. Emily Blunt, we see Emily Blunt get killed in a gruesome way. I mean, we don't <laughs> we don't actually see it on screen, but if you look closely, you can see one of the legs of the Alpha just pound her into hamburger. Yeah. And then you, its leg comes up and it's all bloody. Like, whoa, dude, what'd you do? That's some Emily Blunt hamburger helper there. Yum. <laughs> See, I feel like you mean two things there. <laughs> there's the Hannibal Lecter one, and then there's the creepy way you mean it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Christopher. <laughs> I need a nice Chianti. I'm not doing the Hannibal Lecter voice because it creeps my girlfriend out. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like the ending for me when I saw it and the guys just started getting picked off one by one? You know, the two guys sacrificed themselves, the one guy in the plane or whatever he gets picked up i was like oh now here we go with the movie trope you know they're just gonna pick them off one by one every guy sacrifices you know i was searching for a red shirt throughout the entire film yeah and then i got to the end and realized wait nobody actually died no there's not a single red shirt in the movie because no one dies hey but no animals were killed thank no god i don't know if i could have handled that (laughs) i know they're just like oh yeah try in the suit shoot that bunny rabbit over there oh by the way suit works because i just slaughtered a family of bunnies <laughs> no not today it's like would you like to try this on a f- herd of goats <laughs> while you're at it or better yet we have cows over there go ahead and try it they never try it on skunks i you know i feel like that would be a taste of someone's medicine <laughs> if they actually like slaughtered a family of skunks damn it don't smell like crap you gonna get this off the suit now <laughs> you have a character skunky but speaking of J-Squad... J-Squad. How'd you feel about them? Did not like them. They were super annoying to me and tropey. Were they your lens flare, oh, if you would have to say? They were. The whole, he gets in the plane, hey, there's a dead man in that suit. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. Really? You're going to vote your guy off the island that quick just because he's uh, a possible potential deserter? With the exception of Bill Paxton in J-Squad, they're all just tropes. They are. Even Paxton felt like a trope to me. He did. He felt cliche, but I do like that this film embraced that. 
He yeah. didn't run away from that. If, if Just when you think like he couldn't be more cliche, like there's another one right around the mm-hmm. corner. So they lean pretty hard into that. And some of the best scenes were uh, when Cruz escapes and he's like, how did you, how, how, what did he say? How did you lose sight of this guy? How did this guy just escape? Did you just interrupt me? Yeah. He makes him do more push-ups. I wonder how many, you know how Cruz repeats the same thing every single day, escaping underneath the bus. You know, and he just makes those guys do endless push-ups. Those were my favorite scenes when they would come be like, do you know how many push-ups we've done for you, Cage? Well, in J-Squad, there's a woman. Yeah. There's a fat guy. There's several sarcastic British men. (laughs) There's the foreign guy who literally has one line in the entire movie, and everybody looks at him just like, it speaks. What? There's a black guy, and there's an Asian guy. Dude, they're checking off the uh, diversity Catalog. It's like every single one they're just marking marking down like you know what this just seems like a le- this just seems like a more cannon fodder version of the dirty dozen <laughs> pretty much like you know these guys are going to die because you don't know them really no we just know their surface we don't know who they are chris i mean thankfully we don't spend much time getting to know them no well it would have detracted from the whole point well and if you think about it too they die as much as bill cage dies yeah all of them. But they just can't remember the gruesome deaths. Yeah, somehow he's the only one who does, and it doesn't feel weird to anybody else. Right. What if the blood splatters on two people? Yeah. Would you both get the power? Well, I got the sense that their blood was corrosive. Okay. Because if you watch the first time that Cage dies, it's almost like his face is melting. Yeah. So I got I got this I got this idea that like maybe the blood is like acid like from alien. It goes inside your brain. Your yeah. eye sockets just melts away and turns your eyes black and just like I'm awake again and it's <laughs> and it's the day before. Is that the noise? Pagah! Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh I found something in the way of toxic fandom. Oh sweet. So welcome pedants. This week's edition on this week in Toxic Fandom. So the dam in the film is identified by Dr. Carter as Kronera Dam in Germany. Now, the Lie de Kronera Lake indeed has a dam, but it is not in Germany. It is in Switzerland. <laughs> so those Swiss were desperate to get in this movie and had to had to change that. Oh, by the way, actually, <laughs> or however Swiss people talk. You don't have an accent? If you're Swiss and you're listening to the show, I do apologize. Just there's some pedants in your country who... Really want this film to get noticed. That's not bad, though. They're, you know, marketing the marketing the movie over to <laughs> Sweden. So let's talk about, because is there anything else? Oh, well, you know what? Would you survive this? You know, that's a tough call. I feel like you're more qualified to answer that since you're the soldier of the group. So how, <laughs> like, how, how would you feel if you were in this far-fetched scenario of this endless repeating of the days because you're dying? The repeating of the days? It, I feel like it would be like Cruz. You'd be absolutely shocked the first couple times. But once you learn what's going on and you can, you know, figure out a plan of attack and everything, why not, man? Well, it's got to mess with your mind at some point. Well, that was the thing. It, like, endless. Especially if you don't find a way, a means to an end. I would probably feel like Bill Murray in a sense where I think I'm a god, you know, in Groundhog Day. I can do anything without any ramifications. I'm going to go to the movie theater dressed like a cowboy. Exactly. I mean, you could literally do whatever you wanted. But I think the ownership that if it was you and you were this critical of a person where you basically held the scepter of truth, you know, your life, you were the beacon of hope. I would figure out a way to fix it all, you know, find the Omega, 
destroy it all? Why not? Well, Cruz does eventually. It just takes time. It takes time. He learns not only to become a better soldier, but a better person, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, the equipment was dope. Yeah. <laughs> I would, that would be like the first time I'd be like, oh, my gosh, you can fire rockets? Well, what? he does that last uh, fight at the Louvre. There's no suit. He's not wearing no. a suit. He kicks serious ass just without it, which was kind of cool because you actually get to see him do what he does. He was not held by the constraints of the exoskeleton. Chris. No, he was not. His chains were gone. All right, settle down. <laughs> so let's discuss the legacy of Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat. Let's do it. Modest success at the box office. Grossed just over $370 million against that $178 million budget. So not a huge success. I did read that they spent something like yeah. $100 million on marketing the film. Well, that's just it. Because, I mean, it's almost double, but after $100 million marketing, I'm surprised they got a sequel, Greenlit. Well, it does hold a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. and it sold, it did pretty well on home media releases, and I think that's mostly due to the title change, mm -hmm. which, if you've noticed during this episode, we haven't settled on one way to call the film. It's both. <laughs> <laughs> it is, because if you look at the, the initial poster for the film, it's the... It's prominent right in the middle of the screen uh, of the poster, excuse me. Live, die, repeat. And then mm -hmm. Edge Tomorrow is on the bottom, almost like a tagline. Mm -hmm. So people didn't know what to call this movie. Yeah. And then when it came out on home media, Live, Die, Repeat was prominently featured on the cover art. And at the very bottom, it's almost like a subtitle, like Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. It almost feels like the title itself feels like a video game in a sense. Whereas The Edge of Tomorrow sounds like a sleek film. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's not the first movie that changed its title, if you can believe that. Really? Yeah. You found I, some... Uh... I, I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> so um, the film Atomic Blonde was originally set to be called Coldest City until that changed titles. The uh, uh, Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts was originally going to be titled 3000, which I don't understand the title there. Maybe it's how much money Richard Gere was going to pay her to, like, be his girlfriend for the weekend. Like, I don't know. Um, Maybe. <laughs> Scream, the slasher film, was originally going to be called Scary Movie. And then that got uh, huh. co-opted by the appropriately titled Scary Movie spoof. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hancock, starring Will Smith, was going to be called Tonight He Comes, which just sounds horrible. Hor That's Ter horrifying terrible. right there. Terrible. <laughs> but you know what? At The, same the implications token of that title are just are, are mystifying. <laughs> But at the same time, that kind of reminds me of the postman knocks, or postman rings twice. Yeah. Yeah. Why is he ringing twice? Tonight. What's going on? <laughs> so, the gross of the film actually did not crack the top 10 in a list of that year's films. Well, this was 2014, so we're well into Marvel and not yet Star Wars. Well, you'd be surprised to learn that a Transformers film was the highest grossing of that year. Age of Extinction, which yeah. is- that's where I just stopped watching them all together. Dude, that's where we got Marky Mark in there. So, you know. Yeah, that one grossed over a billion dollars. And then the 10th ten, the highest grossing film of that year was Interstellar, which ah. made just over $675 million. Solid. So unfortunately, EOT slash LDR didn't crack that top 10. Probably in like the bottom 20 of that list. 
Which is just nuts if you think about it. $370 million. Well, it, it's ridiculous because off air, you pointed out 15 years ago, that would have been huge. That would have been like big. Like studios would have loved to have had a $350 million gross mm-hmm. with any movie. I know. And now in the age of billion dollar box office returns, it's seen as a, it's seen as a failure, which is- I know. Which I really wish executives would flip that way of thinking. I know, because I feel like there's tons of titles out there or screenplays that people could make for great films. Or be honest with your budget. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just tell people straight up, like, here, this is what we spent on the movie. Yeah. Don't be a fraud. Yeah. Well, that's what derailed Superman Returns. It cost a bunch of money to make that. and And Warner Brothers sunk a ton of money into that project. And when it only made, like, $400 million, they were all like, what? We wanted more, but why? It's like, dude, you made $400 million. You know I me mean? in the art houses would love that. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Although this film uh, came out in an age where I would consider Tom Cruise was becoming the American Liam Neeson. Yeah. Because he's done more Mission Impossible films. He's yeah. going to do more of them. He's uh, also was doing the Jack Reacher films mm-hmm. uh, during this time where the first one was awesome, second one. Not so much, but he still uh, he still breaks bones and shoot up some people, so that's still a good action movie. He's still doing Tom Cruise things. Yeah, and he's doing the upcoming Top Gun sequel. I know. Which I'm looking forward to seeing already. Yeah? I'm going to have to spring for the IMAX to see him fly the plane. You're going to see him in IMAX for that? I saw him in IMAX for Mission Impossible Fallout. See, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little uh, wishy-washy on that, so I might just see it on the standard I'll screen. let you know how it is. <laughs> Dayside. I mean, but you were right with uh, what's part time in Hollywood. So yeah, Chris, see it first. They give me the review. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, unfortunately, Bill Paxton would pass away a couple of years after this film. He passed away in 2017. So yeah. again, rest in peace, good sir. Yeah, he was great in this film. Emily Blunt is still gorgeous, still incredible at what she does. It is still cranking out multiple quality films every year. So. We enjoy seeing her on the big screen because she is immensely talented and does great movies. And I think uh, a tad bit underrated, in a sense, for like awards uh, would go. I don't know if she's been ever nominated for any like Academy Awards or anything. I think a couple of Golden Globes yeah. and a few British Academy Film Awards, but uh, yeah. no Academy Awards just yet. I know. We remain hopeful, though. Yeah, she's young. The Oscars love British people. <laughs> yeah, right? So- a sequel is currently in development mm-hmm. with Doug Lyman set to direct. But the only recent update I could find was that they hired somebody else to rewrite the script, and that was in March of 2019. Hmm. So, well, at least it's close. Would you want a sequel to this, though? It would have to have a really good story, tie up loose ends. You know, if it's just, I don't know where they could go with it. Well, you have to expand the world. Yeah. Um, if if you're gonna do a sequel like this, like Cruz has the ability now, so yeah. can he go? Can he figure out how to use it and like go forward in time now? That would be cool to see that. But if they're gonna like try and shoehorn stuff in like Independence Day, like the second one, I wouldn't yeah. want to see it. But I don't know because it doesn't really have that much clout of a box office. Well, it seems you know? like uh, Blunt and Cruz are kind of holding up this process with their schedules. Like they haven't carved out time to mm-hmm. make this. But even they've gone on record saying they're optimistic that this will happen. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, I don't blame them. Have There's still time. I mean, if yeah. they maybe have like another four or five quality years in time to get this film in before they just have to reboot the series. <laughs> you mean you don't want to see a 65-year-old Tom Cruise running? Because <laughs> he's never going to stop Which, running. This is our first time ever seeing Tom Cruise running 
in an exoskeleton. Yeah, where and it actually looks good, like he's not like sprinting for I his know, life. Oh, good God. I, it was pretty cool. <laughs> Tom, you got it with you, man. So, Sean, what do you say we rate EOT slash LDR? Boom. On our scale on the <laughs> Force Fit Sci Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host viewing parties, mm-hmm. what do you give to 2014's? Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat. I would watch it if it was on TV, Netflix. It's good. Sound. Super simple, despite it being Groundhog Day. Uh, It answers the age-old question of if your life was a video game like Call of Duty and you just kept respawning, what would happen? Yeah. Solid performance, man. So what's holding you up from rating it higher? Would own. Yeah. The story, it was pretty basic to me. So it didn't like move me in a sense to where I was like, enamored with it so i i totally recommend it for other people they're into sci-fi but i would just watch it (laughs) see i would call this a would own okay i'd be happy to add this to my collection i think a lot of people wouldn't get this film Mm -hmm. i mean it's a different type of tom cruise film in that he's he's a bit of a coward he's unsure of himself he's not super confident he just thinks he's gonna coach through this war as a rear Mm -hmm. echelon officer and not really see much action Mm -hmm. and I think the um, the each day repeating itself upon death, I think that excuses a lot of the paradoxes that would yeah. inevitably come up when you're discussing time travel, mm-hmm. and it excuses a lot of the plot holes that yeah. come up. It was a good cover-up. It was kind of like in Looper. However, EOT does have some great action, and the movie isn't dependent on the support the rest of the supporting cast Mm -hmm. like we get tom cruise and we get emily blunt and that's really all we need yeah like if this movie was just them it would still be a great movie dominant performances by both of them solid sleek it's what we love it's what we love on the show (laughs) and practical effects yeah we do i really yeah i got nothing else on it i mean let's pick our next movie then shall we oh yeah so we're gonna consult our friendly random number generator ai lower enlisted Major Samantha. <laughs> she talking to these colonels, baby. Yes, she is. And from our list of <laughs> 118 films, she has selected number 92. It is a 2000 film directed by David Twoey and starring Vin Diesel. It is Pitch Black. No way. Ah, I'm excited. Yeah. I love this film. Yeah, it's a good movie. It'll be a good one to talk about and how... Vin Diesel's career has just been really three roles. So if you enjoyed today's show, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at FourceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.